Ladies and gentlemen, how do you are listening to the Synapse Films Podcast, a journey into the world of Synapse Films. So buckle up and enjoy the ride. Susie Banyan decided to perfect her ballet studies in the most famous school of dance in Europe. The killer is coming. The killer's gonna get you. I'm just crazy about this store. I've been expecting you. You thought Iron Maiden was a heavy metal band. <laughs> Don't drink my flavor. Welcome to the Synapse Films Podcast. I am Timo Sabin. Some folks in the horror community know me as Timo. I will be your host on this journey into all things Synapse Films. Now you're probably saying to yourself, Synapse Films Podcast, I'm in the right place. Therefore, you may also be saying to yourself, now who the hell are you? So let me give you a brief background on myself. I am a musician. I play guitar in two bands out of the St. Louis area, one band being Ultraman, a punk group who's been around since the mid-1980s, and Fragile Porcelain Mice, a bit of a more of an alternative rock band, I guess you would call it. Uh, that's been around since the early 1990s. I entered the horror community via a micro-budget film company called Hack Movies, run by the now-bizarro fiction writer Kevin Strange. I then created, produced, and co-hosted the Tim and Harley Show podcast. Very proud to say that that was a weekly podcast uh, discussing horror films that went on for 10 years straight. So very proud of that run. And now here I am, producing and hosting the Synapse Films Podcast. So now that we have those pleasantries out of the way, let's get started. I'd like to welcome in the co-owner of Synapse Films himself, my pal, Jerry Chandler. Hello, Jerry. Hi. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing great. Jerry, first of all, I... Thank you so much uh, for you and Don trusting me and giving me the honor to uh, put this podcast together for, for Synapse Films. And actually, and this is actually more apropos, we're thanking you and honored by you for expressing the interest in doing this. We couldn't appreciate you more, Tim. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that, too. And. You know, as a fan here, this is why we're here. And I just kind of wanted to talk about this is the very first episode of the Synapse Films podcast. And the, the basic general idea here is to put something entertaining and fun out for people to listen to and to talk about Synapse Films, but also be a line of communication with the fans and the collectors. Because I think what some people don't understand is that you, Don, the other folks connected with Synapse Films, myself, we are also fans and collectors and movie geeks as well and these releases and everything they mean as much to you and don as they do to the fans that are that are putting down their hard-earned cash to buy these things too and i'd like this to be that open line of communication where you can tell the fans or you know what's going on with the releases and things and then Eventually here, we're going to get an email address set up to where the fans and people can email questions to ask directly what's going on. So that's going to be the main point here, and hopefully we have some fun. It's already fun, Tim. Well, I, <laughs> I'm already having fun. 
It helps that I love to hear myself talk, though. That's right. the- and, and also, it doesn't take much to show you a good time, Jerry. You, know, so, <laughs> you, you stick you in a little white rubber room with a piece of lint to play with, and you're good for a few hours. So, all good. So <laughs> You know, well, I do want to say it, yeah. it's, it's quite interesting that I found that when I listen to myself, I literally agree with everything I have to say, and that is so rare. Right. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is I do not. I actually listen to myself and have to edit myself constantly because I do not agree with anything I'm saying once I hear myself the next day. Um, so there'll be a lot of that going on this show for sure. Um, I hope Jerry, so. Yeah, Jerry, talk about a um, little bit of news here. You do have a release coming up. I know there's nothing... Really major to announce, but uh, The Kindred, a movie that you know that I love and have been waiting for for years, as as we all have, uh, it is being feverishly worked on, am I correct? And will be out ASAP, and you're hoping to bring it to shows the, when the conventions start up again? Yeah, you know, I want to, you know, I want to address any uh, title that people have been asking about, but we're limited as to what we can say. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, Don is working feverishly to finish The Kindred now. We are in the absolute ending stages. Um, it will be a steel book, and uh, the steel books are done. Uh, they've been uh, checked, and they're sitting at a replicator. All we have to do is, is put the finishing touches on the discs themselves, and they'll be ready to go. So what we're hoping... Uh, you know, we are now with a new distributor, MVD, and there's a window when you announce a title. They have to have uh, a couple of uh, months to set pre-sell and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. However, th- the day they are finished, we will be selling them directly to people through our website, and we're going to try. We are doing some shows this summer if things don't get canceled. Right. And uh, we are hoping to have them at least at, we're down for three shows so far, and uh, hopefully by the third, even better by the second, be a dream come true if we would have them ready to sell to people uh, at the first show. But we can't say. You know, it's hard to say. You never know when Don is going to see something that he just can't live with. Right. And it's got to come out, which sets the, you know, the timer back to zero again. We'll talk about that for one second, too, because uh, on my previous podcast, I had you on and you did mention talk about that a little bit, that there's there is good reasons why sometimes it takes a little while for these titles to come out. And that's because you guys are perfectionists. You want things to go out. Correct. Right. Well, you know, here's the thing. You know, if we have the proper materials, if we have access to the proper materials, when we create a disc, we want you never to feel like you're ever going to have to buy it again. We certainly feel that way with Suspiria. I mean, unless there's going to be some 8K that's common, you could never improve uh, on our 4K. That's my opinion. Right. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But... If you buy that Blu-ray or that 4K, you're kind of done. You don't have to get to every five years someone puts out a a, a different version. Right. And, uh, you know, people, they don't, for the most part, they don't like having to buy the same movie and over and over. Mm-hmm. So we, our goal is to create something that you'll never have to buy another uh, copy of it. And, 
the Kindred came out on a laser disc about a million years ago, back in the eighties. Okay. So it was a tape, and there was a laser disc. Uh-huh. And then somebody, some you know, crook out there, took the laser disc and you know made a DVD. Sure. Right, you know, just ripping it and burning it, sure. and, and was selling it for a long time, and and the producer, I believe, finally put a stop to that. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, look, we did the Kindred in two thousand and six, and there, you know, if for those historians out there, they may remember there was a legal issue that crept up once we were already done, and the whole thing went to the courts. Well, by 2008, 2009, the case was settled, and, and we were given permission to then continue our work with it. Right. And by the time we we had another look at it, Don didn't like the work he did originally and said, I could do a lot better now because some things changed in the industry. There were newer programs, there were things that he could use. You could tell I don't have a great technical knowledge. But sure. uh, needless to say... He felt he could do a lot better, so he decided to start the entire project from scratch again. Mm -hmm. So we've had that movie since 2006. It's now 2021, 15 years later, (laughs) and it's only coming out this year. And and some of that was due to the court case. Sure. But... uh, It's not easy getting these things out all the time, is it? I mean, there's a a huge process... To, from hearing the title that may become available until actually putting it out. And really, as fans, too, we tend to also complain a lot when we get something that has been released that maybe should have been checked or double-checked every now and then, which does happen with releases. So what you guys are doing is you're trying to avoid that. Yeah, I mean, how many Synapse titles have you ever heard of having to go back because something wasn't right. It was defective. You know, we've had that actually happen as far as I can remember twice in our careers, but it was only because of the replicator. They made a, a bad disc. There was nothing that we checked and it, the, the sound's supposed to be stereo and it's mono or any of these other things that you see a lot of mistakes happening with other companies. And that's because Don is, you know, he's Don. <laughs> well, and there's also the, the issue that you, you know, you want to put uh, special features on these discs too. A lot of the fans, they expect that and they want that, be it, uh, you know, interviews or commentaries. And that just doesn't happen overnight. You just don't wave a magic wand and that, that those are little mini films that have to be produced all on their own, little documentaries, basically, little interviews. Am I correct? Yes, uh, but to be perfectly honest, most of that stuff is being worked on by people who are not working on the film itself, Mm -hmm. and we try and get that assigned when we license the title. In other words, if I have to call a Mike Felsher from Red Shirt Pictures, I'll say, hey, Mike, I just landed a hot dog. Who can you find from that movie and... Who can you give me interviews with and and whatever? And, you know, we just licensed the movie five minutes ago, and he's already looking and making, you know, so within 30 days, he's given me a list of who he's going to interview and and what his budget's going to be and everything. All this time, Don is working on his end. So the extras aren't, for the most part, you know, nothing's 100%, but they aren't the usually the big delay although sometimes sometimes 
you know, they are. Uh, we had to wait a little bit for Callum's uh, documentary for Living Dead at Manchester Mort, but what a documentary. It was the last interview with George Grau before he died. So, I mean, you know, some of that stuff's worth waiting for. You know, I look at it like this. We all have us collectors. The collectors are the ones who really get annoyed with the delays. But as collectors, we all have other versions of these movies. I say, if you need a fix, watch your crappy old VHS or something and be patient because what we're going to hand you is going to be the most amazing version of this movie you'll ever see and you'll have it forever. And just, But it takes time. You have to be patient and you have to wait. If we're making you wait, that means you're in for some good treat that you don't even know about yet. So, you know, watch an old an old version. Don't be tempted to buy some foreign version. Just watch an old version. Get your fix, and then give us another six months. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. You know, be, because we want you to go, oh, my God, they got this, they got that. Find me one person that was expecting that 4.1 audio on Suspiria. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody. Even the Italians. That was all came out of Don's head. And that's a good, a very good, a good example of what we want to do here, too, is just have that open line of communication so you can just tell the fans, this is exactly what's been going on. Maybe not details, but this is why it's taken a while. Um, and, oh, and Tim, Tim, yeah. I will, for this little segment, I will have lots of teases. If I can't give you information, I could tease you. Okay. And here's a tease right now. All right. We just made a deal, and we got something major coming. <laughs> That's all I'm telling this you. Is, this is that moment when I'm talking to a friend, and my friend goes, "Hey, did you? I, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. I talked to my buddy Jerry at Synapse, and this my other friend would be a movie fan. Oh, what do he say? Oh, some big's right around the corner. What is it? I don't know. Yep. He wouldn't tell me. He just likes to tease you and then walk yep. away giggling like a little girl, going, yep. you know. So, but very good. But there's always something big coming when I say it. I never, right. you know. Well, you know, it's funny. You actually told me that, and the f- I, and I did think of a couple of titles, and those titles have already been announced. So I'm like, wow, man, I, I don't know what the heck you're talking about now. So, yeah, all right. Well, well, I, I am- definitely don't want to do a guessing game because I'm no. not the world's greatest poker player. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's going to be, you know, listen, Synapse has some, some major surprises ahead for everybody uh, coming forward. You know, we, we learned, we try and learn, that when you announce something, uh, the fans at first they're they're very stoked, should I say, because they know they're going to get something great. Mm-hmm. But then their patience wears thin as the years drag out. <laughs> so uh, what we've done is we're, and you're going to see a lot of this coming up. You're going to go, holy shit! I didn't know they were putting that out. Uh-huh. We've been working on a lot of projects that nobody knows we're working on. Some people know some of them, but nobody knows everything because we're, you know, we just don't want to antagonize people. It's like waving a, a candy in front of a diabetic person or something right, like that. Right. They can't have it, but you're sitting there showing it to them, talking about it, whatever. <laughs> it drives them crazy. Right. It's not a good thing. Right. So. These days, we're going to talk about some things when they're very, very close to coming out. Okay. Well, and, and folks, don't, don't ask me because I don't know. Part of it, I don't really want to know unless I have to know. <laughs> unless, we're doing, unless we're doing some announcement for this podcast, 
I'd rather just be surprised too and guess and and I'll yeah. let, you know I don't want to push that at all. So I don't know. So don't bother me about it. So right, um, I got gotcha. to. Well, and one thing that was a surprise that came up not too long ago, and this is a good example of that. So. For everyone listening, Jerry Chandler calls me and says, we got something coming out next week. You're going to want it. Well, what is it? I can't tell you, but you're going to want to, so you're going to have to order it from me. Well, what is it? Just buy it. Okay. And that was a, a massacre at Central High, which I was glad. Yeah. And I did not know until that day what I had bought, even, you know, so, but uh, that was a surprise that had just come out. Now, that was a limited run. Um, are you going to have any of those at the, at the conventions coming up? Yes, we took a percentage. Uh, listen, Don and I started as fans. And I know people look at us as industry professionals. And maybe Don is, but I'm not. I'm just a fan. And I, I talked to you about this before. I'm just a lucky guy. You know, I, I uh, hitched my wagon to uh, to Don's horses and he's, uh, you know, he's doing all this and, and, you know, I have my own fan base because of him, <laughs> not because of me. So, uh, I, I just can't see you guys out in the prairie yeah, <laughs> next to yeah. a campfire. <laughs> hey, Jerry, pull out that harmonica and play me a tune. I just, <laughs> the hitching no, the horses no. thing. <laughs> I should get a harmonica and try. <laughs> no, you horrible. should not. No, you uh, should Anyways, Before I lose my train of thought, remember I'm an old man. Uh, Okay, so what we do with the steelbooks, you know, generally we sell the steelbooks ourselves because a a movie like Suspiria or a movie like Massacre or The Kindred, to do the types of restorations we do, they're way, way too much money. The fan base out there is not large enough to support that. So we do a steel book. It's not cheap, I'll be honest. But what it does is we sell it ourselves, and it would be like a distributor selling three for us. And the the, the, the steel book allows us to recoup a lot of our investment in the restoration. So nobody should feel bad about um, paying a little extra and buying it from us this way because a it's a beautiful package. Our steel books are the are the most beautiful there they are. We really care about the art and everything. There's always extras in them that no one will else will ever get. And then also if if it doesn't make economical sense, there won't be any more restorations like this. So you kind of have to say, "Gee, Synapse made this for me." Not for the mass market, because there is no mass market. They made it for me. You know, again, fan. I'm a fan. Don is a fan. We met through exchanging fan letters, you know, 150 years ago. (laughs) But so we're always thinking about the fans. So whenever we have uh, a Steelbook release, we always take about 500 and set them aside. And these are for shows. Because we have fans that come to the shows and they say, look, I could have bought your stuff on Amazon and saved a lot of money, but I want to support you guys. So I bring my money to the shows and whatever. Okay, well, that's awfully nice of people to do. So at the very least, I could set some discs aside for those people who I know 
are going to want to buy it from us personally because it makes them feel good. And of course it makes us feel good. It's such an act of kindness. It's, it's unbelievable. In today's world, there are some people who are so nice, but so, yeah. So when we hit these shows, we are going to have some living dead in Manchester morgues and we're going to have some uh, massacre at central highs. And if we're lucky, we'll have some kindred. Now, how this works, once we've sold the lion's share of those steel books and we've recouped most of our money, we then will release a regular version. Okay. If we don't come close, we are not. So, so you guys will definitely have these titles. You set some aside for the fans, for the conventions. Um, that I did not know. That's very good to know and very good for the fans to know, too. So if you come to these conventions... Uh, go to the Synapse Films table. You will find some of these uh, steel books and stuff uh, to purchase. Now, what conventions can these people go to to find you guys at? What uh, where are you guys scheduled to be at in 2021? Uh, so far, at least, where are you guys scheduled to be? Okay, well, uh, so far there's been three announced conventions, and of course. These can all be canceled if there's another COVID outbreak or something like that. But mm-hmm. so far, we are doing Flashback Weekend in Chicago coming up this summer. I'm not. I'm a little fuzzy on the dates. Okay. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, Cinema Wasteland as always in Cleveland. Okay. For the for the fall show, and we are uh, going to be at uh, probably one of the most fun shows you'll you'll ever get a chance to go to which is uh horror hound cincinnati mm-hmm. and you know if they do in indianapolis we'll go there too but i i really want to uh mention horror hound they really have it together as far as yeah having fun at a show those guys are the best i yeah. really love them so it's really well it's it's well run it's a tight ship yeah. there and i i i like it i like every show has its own personality that one has like its own kind of professional personality. Does, does that is that fair to say? Yeah, and I'm not I'm not disparaging it, any it other ones. It doesn't mean I, I don't love Ken at, oh, at yeah, Cinema no, no, Wasteland. Right. I do, and, right. and Mike and Mia from uh, Flashback. They're wonderful people, right. and we always have fun at their shows as well. It's just you know Horror Hound. It's just got a you know it's got a big capacity, and it's all fandom, and it's just a lot of fun it's got a great ambiance so that's probably these days it's got to be one of my favorite shows i mean you know i love doing their shows i've i've begged them to do other cities but you know i guess their plate's pretty full they look at you and go oh jerry would you like to set that one up for us yeah yeah they did columbus columbus ohio a couple times yeah i remember that yeah but, uh, you know, it's a lot of work for them. But, yeah, man, is. they do such a great job yeah. uh, in Cincinnati and in Indianapolis. It's it's just something else. Uh, Wasteland is, Cinema Wasteland is the only show that I ever went to as just a fan, without a table, without helping someone at a table or anything. Me and my wife, Angie, actually went to that show. And it's the furthest one away from us. But it was the one I picked to go to as just a fan because I think that show is a night is a is a real relaxing show. Like I said, I think every convention really does have its own unique personality. No, Cinema Wasteland, Cinema Wasteland is a hardcore 
fan show. They wear hard hats with helm with lights on the front of them. You know, yeah. I mean, their people come and they come to purchase and 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 party. And uh, you know, everybody who goes there has fun. It's not going to be massive or gigantic. But those people that come to that show, they don't come to 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 uh, looky loo. They come to be part of it, right? So that's a show that we will never miss ever. We right. do it twice a year, uh, Cleveland Cinema Wasteland. It's a it's a must show to any self respecting horror fan. You literally have to go to it, and almost and I would almost say the same thing for Flashback in Chicago. Mm-hmm. That is a great show to those people. Uh, Mia and Mike, the people who who put it on, and their daughters—they were little kids, but now they're grown up and right. helping and everything. I mean, nobody cares more about their show than those two. I How mean, is that set up else. now? Is that set up at a couple different buildings? I'd heard a couple like things that maybe they had they ran that show parallel to Wizard World a couple times. Am I? I don't I know. I haven't been you know, there for a while. Yeah, I did Wizard enjoy World it. was always was always across the street at the uh-huh. big giant convention center. Uh-huh. I have a feeling I could be wrong, but I think they moved to that convention center. Really, I, I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, people would have if they're interested. I would recommend going to Flashback Weekend on online, and you could get all the details. But like I said, these days, you know, as Don and I get older, we tend to to only. We limit ourselves to the the shows that we always have fun with, that we love the, the the people who put on the shows and the fans that come to the shows. And these three, the first three that we're doing this year, happen to be the best. I mean, Horror Hound, Cinema Wasteland, Flashback, just doesn't get any better than those three sets of people who put on shows. They're the, just the best. The best there is. Check you can go online, find these of course websites. Anybody listening knows how to find websites these days. So you have Flashback Weekend, you have Cinema Wasteland, and uh, you also Horror have Horror Hound. Hound Weekend as well too. Don't yeah. don't forget my friends at Horror no, Hound. No, uh, no. Hello, hello, Aaron is my buddy Aaron. So. Aaron and yeah. Nathan. Yeah. I, I I literally love those two guys like they were my own brothers and the people that work for them. And you get to meet Don and Jerry. Well, I was going to bring that up. You and I have been friends for a number of years. Very, very good friends. Yes. Where did we meet? At a conventions. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I can't remember which and one. That, Just a lot of them. We kept going to the same ones, and we kept seeing uh, yep. each other and talking. And it's, it's, I've met a lot of friends that way, too. And it's, it's a wonderful place to connect with people. Uh, all kinds of people from all walks of life. And it's a, good, it's a really true good melting pot. Something else that I wanted to do on this podcast is picking out a couple movies. Sometimes we'll pick like the obvious ones, the more popular films like in your catalog and stuff. And sometimes something that might be a little more obscure or not as heard of or as popular. Um, So we picked out a couple movies to talk about. First movie I wanted to talk about is a movie that you guys have released in the last couple years from 1993 the James Glickenhaus film Slaughter of the Innocents, uh, starring oh, fuck. <laughs> Scott Glenn. Yeah, kid, Scott Glenn. The only thing I didn't write down was Scott Glenn's name because I know it, <laughs> and I had a brain fart right there. So, okay, um, 
And so the, this movie, I do remember seeing this movie. Was it? Talk to me about this film because I don't know a lot about this film except right. for that. Well, we were friends with the Glickenhaus people many, many, many years ago. And we had uh, licensed Rock and Roll Nightmare and Black Roses from uh, one of the partners. You know, a few years went by, and this particular partner, who I was very close with, wonderful man, he passed away. So there was nobody, there were three people in Shapiro Glickenhaus, Lenny Shapiro, Jim Glickenhaus, and Alan Solomon. Uh, I think by Alan was running the show as far as the movies went. And then, uh, you know, I think Lenny was off doing something else and Jim, I don't know. But when Alan passed away, everything went to Jim. So one of Jim's representatives came to us and said, Hey, you know, I'm getting these materials from Alan's estate and everything like that. You know, we, called around there's a number of movies in this library and man it's awfully expensive to get transfers done and i said well what are they what are they quoting you these are hollywood studios mm-hmm. and they would gave me some out, outrageous numbers mm-hmm. so i said look don and i can do all these transfers for you at a fraction of the cost a fraction and she said, how much? And I told her. And she goes, holy shit, what are you going to make? I said, we're not making anything. That's our cost, but that's how cheap we can do it. She goes, well, what do you want? I said, well, let, license us the films. You know, uh, this way you'll make money. You'll have a licensee and, and, and this and that. But in the meantime, we'll do the transfers for you at cost. Mm-hmm. So, so they love that. Right. And so we're talking, this is multi-film Deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got, uh, you know, look look what we got. We got Rock and Roll Nightmare, uh, Black Roses. We got Basket Case 2 and Basket Case 3. We got Frankenhooker, Red Scorpion, Slaughter of the Innocents, and we also have MacGyver, which we haven't put out yet, or Mc, McBain. I'm sorry, not MacGyver. Right? <laughs> MacGyver, cut that out. <laughs> oh, I'm le- if I leave Scott Glenn in, you're keeping that in. <laughs> <laughs> Your mistakes keep in. My mistakes take out. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Uh, so it was, so a, it, was a, it was a package deal, basically. The click- and, then, and then, I mean. Well, we, that, we yeah. picked it and chose which titles we wanted. And, I mean, they made us whole. They paid for the cost of the, all the transfers. But our reward was being able to license these films, which was, which was great. I mean, I love some of these movies a lot. So, In particular, then, Slaughter of the Innocents, why was that one of the films that you guys chose in that package? Well, okay, I looked at that movie. I watched it, and I watched it very carefully. And I was struck by certain... It had a certain sensibility. First of all, Nothing in the movie, in my opinion, works. It's not great. In a, the writing isn't great. The acting's not great. Uh, the photography's not great. Nothing is great. Yet, it all works together amazingly well. I call this a perfect Synapse fan film. My feeling is... I like movies that are outside of the Hollywood system. If you look at the Hollywood system, it's almost like they got a machine that cranks out the same 
movie over and over again where the story setting changes, the actors change, but everything else is almost, you know, you, you've almost always seen it before. Here, this movie gives you another one of those, but it's got subtle differences that just make it so much fun to watch, even though nothing is great. So, for example, I'll give you a few examples that struck me. The main actor, the main person hunting down the bad guy is, I think, six years old. It's crazy. Who makes a little kid the main star and the driving force? I like that because it's insane. Right. You know what I liked even more? The father is an FBI agent. Right. And not one frame of the film is wasted on him saying, you're only six years old. You can't, how do you know this or anything? No. Right. They, he takes the kid in his, yeah, really, please solve this crime for me because I'm having a hard time. Oh, my God. The kid gets on a plane. He flies off. The parents don't know where he is. What does the mom do? I think she copes by having a stiff drink or something. She looks at herself in the mirror. The father is going, go, go, you know, find me the killer. It's just insane. And and then, again, you know, the, the dialogue's a little on the stilted side. And, and you know, it has its issues. Uh-huh. If you look at the filmmaking broken down into individual pieces, but when you throw them into the giant pot and mix it all together, you get a movie that doesn't have any dull moment. That movie starts from the first scene and just takes off like a bullet. There's no slow spots. And again, it's at, at certain points, you, you ask yourself, what the hell am I watching? This is crazy. <laughs> uh-huh. So to me, I love movies like that. I love movies like that. I, I want a movie that doesn't go into the pile to soon to be forgotten. Right. I like a movie that sticks with you because it's, it's so interesting and crazily made. It's eccentric. It is perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's why I chose that movie. To me, in my mind, I want to bring movies out like that and, and show them to people and say, no, it's not gone with the wind. Right. It's not dirty, hairy, but it wasn't made by polished, you know, Hollywood team of whatever. It was a labor of love. Yeah. Yes. And those are movies are so cool when they're not terrible. And this one was not terrible. Right. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I think that era is an interesting era for eccentric thrillers. Almost like <laughs> almost like people grew up watching some really neat film noir movies and they could only afford to shoot out in the desert most of the time. But they but but it seemed like there was a lot of noir kind of road movies in that period and things that were like dark and lurid kind of thrillers and I always thought that movie sort of fit into that that kind of genre of those eccentric thrillers from that era. So also the killer is a really bad person. Look at who he's killing. That is kind of rare too. That's something that a studio probably wouldn't have allowed. Right. That somebody who's self-financed indie, whatever could do. The other thing about that that I would like the fans to know is that, and it just gives me, this is really Don's department, but Mm -hmm. I'll just say this. You know, it's not the greatest looking 
movie I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Definitely, it's got it suffers, mm -hmm. but that shows you what we have to deal with. If the fans could have seen what elements that they saved for that movie, they would say, "Oh my God, it looks great!" But mm -hmm. it doesn't. It looks terrible, and sometimes, you know. You you can only work with what you have to work with yeah. if if nothing else exists, and that's been a huge problem with the Glickenhaus Library. Is uh, when Alan Solomon died, I th they kind of lost track of all the materials, and nobody knows where anything is now. There, there's some stuff that's stored in a facility somewhere, but no one can get in, and no one knows what's inside, and it's just. It's it's very, very difficult. These are behind-the-scenes trials and tribulations of being in this business. I mean, we've we've landed movies where we were promised materials and no materials exist. And, of course, the licensor disappears and you're out your money and you never get to put out the movie. You could do a whole, like, television series, you know, Film Hunters, where people are looking <laughs> for lost films and saying, because there are, and you mean every collector, not just me and you, there's a lot of lost films or a lot of films that aren't necessarily lost, but a good, I don't want to say even print. I mean, some kind of negative or something, something where you can actually make something very good. London After Midnight, you know, like if you can find an actual complete copy of something like, like that, you know, something that's very old or something. I think it'd be kind of a neat little series. But then again, I think a lot of things would be pretty neat, but I'm a huge, <laughs> film, I'm a huge film buff. So it might be just me watching it, but uh you know, you could, I'd be an interesting idea. Yeah. So anybody listening out there, I just put that idea out into the ether. Please steal it and get rich. Cause that's how it goes. <laughs> so, um, so that's a, so now that would be a catalog title. So that's kind of a title that, uh, an older film that was put out that you guys have worked on and re-released and stuff. But there's also movies that you guys release that I'll, that I want to talk about with you, not just the catalog titles, not just the older films you guys are re-releasing, but there are indie films that you guys pick up. And I know that you and Don are very proud of these indie films too. And you really want people to see them. And that's why you're releasing them, of course. And we've talked about these before. So I thought we would talk about one I think that has a very interesting story behind it. And that is the Japanese film Undertaker from 2012. And I'd like you to speak a little bit about Undertaker because how that film fell into your lap is a very interesting story. Well, it's a great story. Yeah. I mean, it's great for us. I mean, I don't know if the fans are going to believe the words that come out of my mouth, but they're true. We're going to have to get used to trying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love Undertaker. I love that movie so much because, you know, I I would have to go all the way back to the days when... My oldest sister was dating her husband, and my oldest sister's almost 70. So this is a long, long time ago. They were sitting on the couch in my family's living room, and uh, she was babysitting. He was over, and I turned on the TV. It was a Saturday night, and it was 1130 at night, and on came Night of the Living Dead. And I was a kid. I was, this is, God, I'm going to say 72 or something. I was very young. And, uh, you know, they have the, uh, you know, the radio announcements and, and shit, you know, the dead are getting up. Right, and right. we didn't know they, they, the TV station put on would flash on. This is a movie. 
You know, don't panic. It was a war of the worlds kind of panic, you know, and the movie was so scary. So uh, this is, of course, it's the first flesh eating zombie movie. So I became, uh, I was obsessed with zombies. And so that's it. Then when, you know, you got nothing till living dead at Manchester Morgue. And I remember when it came through Detroit theatrically, it only played at the few downtown inner city theaters. And it came as don't open the window. And my mom would not take me to see it again. I was a kid. So I only got to stare at the newspaper ads. And then Dawn, by the time Dawn came out, I was old enough to go myself and day. And then, you know, and I know things started heading south. The Mm -hmm. Italian zombie movies came out that were pretty good. Mm Mm-hmm. But then everybody wanted to do zombie movies, and there was no originality. They got really stupid. They're running. They're swimming. Whatever. They're talking. You know, God only. It's just. It's not what it was. And everybody's trying to cash in, and everybody's trying to be different. So turn the clock ahead, uh, like thirty, forty years, and of course, there's no zombie movie that that's coming out that's impressing me or anything like that. So we go to, I believe it was Ken Daniels' very first Fright Night uh, film festival in Louisville, Kentucky. And this was like going to a film festival on the surface of the sun. <laughs> now, I love Ken and his wife and, other, and all the people that work there. Yeah. They've made some big mistakes, but they're really, they're decent people. And yeah, they're very friendly. And, yeah, yes, I like them a yeah. lot. However, I will, I'm going to be brutally honest, and you know, as far as I know, this is in no way a reflection on them, <laughs> but the, the, okay, it was at a terrible, terrible hotel. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, we, what happened was we check in, we go to our rooms, Don and I run out of our rooms into the hall at the exact same time. It was like watching an old Looney Tunes uh, cartoon, <laughs> seeing right. the two of us almost bump heads uh-huh. as we run out screaming. And I turned to him, I go, the bathtub, the bathtub. He goes, my walls, my walls. I mean, he had a blood smear that's like somebody had arterial spray on the wall in his thing. In my bathtub, there was a, like two inches of scum, whatever. There were bugs. A wood from the frame of the bed cut my leg as I was running out. We went right back to the front desk and we said, we're checking out immediately. We don't want to be in this hotel. So they allowed us to. This is like 15 minutes after we got there. Now we're at a show at a hotel in Louisville and we don't have any place to stay. So we go, we find a different hotel, fine. We go to set up. It's in a tent behind the hotel (laughs) and it's like wow it's really hot in here oh don't worry we got air conditioning and everything set up for tomorrow okay so we get to the table at about 9 30 in the morning you know sad or friday no that's not true this is friday so friday we get to the table around noon and we start setting up and there's no uh air conditioning (laughs) And it's getting two o'clock and three o'clock and we're all set up and it's about 140 degrees in the tent. And I said to Ken, you know, 
look, you're so open for early birds. Nobody's coming in here. They're taking a step in and running out. It's hotter in here than it is outside. <laughs> so they bring in these industrial-sized fans and turn them on. The problem is when you're blowing 140-degree air, all your, it's like a solar wave, a, a flare. I mean, right. it's hot air being blown on you. <laughs> Right. So, okay, so we're just uh, literally, we're in hell. And I remember sitting there with my face down, like I'm looking at the floor between my legs. I'm hunched over. I'm trying to breathe through my mouth <laughs> so all the nose hairs in my nose don't singe off. <laughs> right. Don is like, he's he's lying on his back on the floor. He's out of it, yeah. you know. He, he's just, we So nobody's in there. And I see this this tall wraith dressed in white going from table to table. Mm -hmm. And then he gets to our table, and his eyes light up. And he goes, oh, you're Synapse Films. I said, yes, we are. You know, how can I help you? He goes, I came from Japan to meet you guys. I said, oh, come on. You didn't come from Japan to meet us. This is, you came for, to this film festival. He goes, no, I knew you were going to be there. I said, well, why would you come to see us? I mean, this is, this is years ago. This isn't today where we had Suspiria and they wanted to see the guys who restored Suspiria. There was no reason. He said, I love the stuff you do, and I was hoping you would take a look at my movie. Now, if you know anything about me, and I know you do, you know I have zero ego. I don't consider myself special or better than anybody else or whatever. So when somebody says, I would like you to watch my movie, I came across the ocean so you can see my movie. How do you say no? Right. You can't say no. Right. You say, are you kidding me? <laughs> me? What? Who am I? He goes, well, you... I love the stuff Synapse puts out. And I, you know, I, I want you to see it. I said, absolutely, absolutely, thank you. And I set it down where I set a lot of the, you know, the submissions we get, because we get submissions at shows. Right. Sometimes I could get to them, sometimes I can't, you know. Mm -hmm. But most of the time I try to. So, okay, so the show it gets to whatever time, and they shut down, and Don and I can barely get out to a restaurant. We think we just went to McDonald's, and it's like, okay, I'm going to my room. I'm done. There's nothing I want to do here. There's nobody at this show. This was his early one, and it was very poorly attended. I said it, it was torture and shit. All I feel like doing is, is you know, going it. We got another hotel, a nicer one. It had air conditioning. I said, I just want to lay down, and with luck, I'll fall asleep tonight. So, okay, it's 10, 11 o'clock. I'm sitting there. I'm bored to death. There's nothing on TV. I'm getting ready to go to bed. And I go, wow, what the hell? I'll get out his, uh, his uh, DVD, and I'll see if it'll play on my laptop. And, of course, it's one of those movies. And it's like, uh, remember we talked about, well, maybe we didn't, but I have a, a, a gangster movie called Asylum. Mm hmm just like it. Right. You watch the opening scene, you cannot tear yourself away. So, okay, 65 minutes, 70 minutes, however long it is later, I go, oh my God, this fucking movie is great. 
the guy, zombies are still zombies. The world is being wiped out. They're eating people, right? And anyone could be a zombie. It's not just schoolgirls. Alastasi. It's anybody, you know, it's adhering to all the zombie rules. Yet, it's a different story. The, the protagonist, the action, what's happening, the reasons, not the reasons why they're zombies, but the reasons the people are doing what they're doing and whatever, unique in the zombie world. So while you still have a zombie movie, they're not talking, they're not running, and they're not shooting guns or whatever. It's a zombies. You have a different story, and the story was great. And I watch that movie, and every time I watch it, the ending makes me cry. And the guy had no money. I think he told me his budget for the entire movie was seven or 8000 So there's a little tiny bit of CGI in there that looks really fakey, phony, whatever. But it doesn't matter. Because when you see it, you see what he was saying with that little bit of CGI, and you get it, and you break down and you start crying. Such a great movie. How could I not do that? When he wandered in Saturday morning, I said to him, we're doing your movie if you'll give it to me. He goes, are you kidding? I said, no, it was great. And his name's now. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it was great. Uh-huh. It was amazing. It was it was just great. So he got very emotional. Uh-huh. And then, of course, you know, it took us how many years? Six years to put it out, seven years, which I feel terrible about. But, you know, Don gets backed up and he does what he can do. Right, right. And it got kind of set aside. But by the time we, we put it out, you know, our artist did a, a cover, and I made him change one of the images on the cover to uh, something a little bit more horrifying, which he wasn't pleased about. But if you look at the cover, it's amazing. We had no art to work with. We had nothing. The Japanese cover, because he got it put out in Japan by some company, they just used screen grabs for the cover. We had an oil painting done by Steve Bema, a very talented uh, artist, and uh and, okay, so first thing I did when, when it came out, I sent now a box of the DVDs and Blu-rays. His, he, I remember he, he was telling me his director of photography was weeping when he heard we were going to put it out. So I did that, and then I just wasn't satisfied. I thought, what else can I do for him? He was so patient. He's so great, you know. I went and I bought the... Uh, the uh, oil painting from the artist and I had it shipped to Japan for him for the cover. And, you know, he was very appreciative. He's made some short films in the ensuing years that have been amazing. But this is one talented, undiscovered filmmaker, the guy who did uh, Undertaker. And, like, for any people out there hearing this, go, you know, we made it cheap. It's 1995 or whatever. Do yourselves a favor and watch this movie. Check it out. You'll enjoy it. Your money will be well spent. You will feel satisfied as if you went to a nice restaurant and enjoyed a good meal. How many times can you say that when you watch a Hollywood movie or some of the other indie crap 
that's out there. Some of the you've talked about this with me before about this movie. Some of the of the suspense is done really well too, and that's not easy to do that to guys like us or anyone like us who watches these things all the time because I'm sure that movies don't really scare you anymore. I mean, no. the, sus- the suspension of disbelief has been gone since I was a teenager. I just want to enjoy it, be exhilarated, you know, and and feel like I'm on a ride a little bit more now. This movie has those moments where you do feel that old suspensey kind of feel with, that you felt when you were a little kid watching movies. Uh, maybe because some of the suspense does involve children as well. Yeah, you know, particular, so, I was yeah. going to say particularly at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm with the little kids. And I, again, that's what grabbed me initially. I'm looking at these two little children and I'm going, Oh my God, this is real. Mm -hmm. I mean, these kids are living this. This is not acting They're, You know, it's, I don't know. I mean, I watch directors and they can't pull performances out of adults and how this guy, this (laughs) you know, 17 year old, however old he was when he made the movie, how he pulled the, the performances on the two little kids, it's just... Uh, but, you know, I, I, I will say this about our indies, and, and this is a message for me to our fans out there, not average people, but our fans. You, If you buy a Synapse Indie, you will never feel like we stole your money out of your pocket. You will walk away. You might love the movie, you might hate the movie, but you know, you saw it, you were taken for a ride, a thrill ride for for 90 minutes. I mean, uh, you know, there's other ones um, you would like to talk about in the future, like South of Heaven right? and and movies like that. And that Asylum. Just, yeah. Asylum. Mm-hmm. Very, uh, some people love them, some people hate them, but nobody says it wasn't a roller coaster to, to, to sit through. And, and I, I love them because I know, and I've told Don, we're going to lose money on these. And we do. We lose money on every single one. And we don't do restorations really on them or anything like that. We lose money on every single one. But I said, you know, you can't just, you got to put out some, some great movies. And I consider our indies great. And what I loved about Undertaker is, oh my God, it had a great beginning, a great middle, and a great ending. He figured it all out. So at, at that point, when you have all those things, then the money doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have special effects or less than special effects. If that story sucks you in and it's that good, it doesn't matter. The rest of it doesn't matter. And I mean, it matters to a certain extent, but he did fine with the look of the film, but that story, Oh my God, it was perfect for what it was for the story. He was telling, it was just perfect. It was a, it was a short little slice of that particular character's life. Right. It's a cool and, look. It's a cool. It's a cool movie and a very cool story. How how it fell into your lap too, and to have you guys put that out. And the thing is, it is a little bit of a, I guess, a Cinderella kind of story. But at the same time, it wasn't like you just put the thing out because the guy traveled from Japan. Oh no, no! I never would have done that. I would have said, "Hey, this is great. Keep on trying. Let me see your next effort." Sure. That's right. what I would have said, but this thing was 
You know, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, I don't see zombie movies like that very much. I don't care where they're from. Some I like. I I do a steel book, you know, like uh, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, which is probably my favorite zombie film of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, oh my God, this was this was it goes on my shelf with the with the greatest zombie movies. All right. Well, thanks for talking to me and talking about Slaughter of the Innocents and talk about Undertaker. So I'd like to keep keep this up. Uh, have you on every episode. Picking out a couple of Synapse movies to talk about. You know what? You are the teacher. I'm the student. You give me an assignment. I will take the movies home, watch them one more time, and I'll give you, I'll throw all the crap at you you want to listen to. Sounds great. All right, Jerry. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks for, for talking to me on this very first Synapse Films podcast. And I am looking forward to. Going on this journey, having fun with this. It's going to be a good time. This has already been a good time, so thanks again. It's, uh, it's my pleasure, and uh, same to you, my friend. Up next, I would like to welcome in to the show uh, part of the Synapse family, uh, Mr. Ryan Olson. Hello, Ryan. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How about yourself? I'm doing great. So first question I have for you, Ryan, do you have a nickname? And if you do, why isn't it Rock and Rollson? <laughs> because it is now. Oh, boy. <laughs> so Rock and Rollson, how the hell are you doing? <laughs> I guess I'm rocking. As a married guy, Rock and Rollson's probably the best best uh, nickname you could hope to go to bed with tonight too so especially if you don't get in trouble sure. I know. <laughs> very good so ryan tell us uh tell us a little bit about yourself how did you uh you are if if folks if you go to a conventions and if you if you frequent the synapse table you may know ryan he is the handsome fella that stands next to jerry and don and helps them uh sell some uh movies at the shows, at some of the shows I go to. So, Ryan, how did you become part of the family at, at Synapse? Well, it started just being a fan, going to shows. You know, I met those guys at Flashback Weekend back in the mid-2000s. I want to say it might have been 05, 04, somewhere around there. Um, my good buddy, Dave Kosanke, who writes for Liquid Cheese and does all kinds of stuff, he was friends with them and you know, would talk to them and I was interested in the stuff they were selling and buying things from them. So over the years we had, you know, just always seen each other at shows and Dave started working for Tony from exploited cinema at cinema wasteland, buying the table and selling stuff. And Tony ended up coming to a flashback weekend and Dave, you know, got me into it to help work with him at that show, which then eventually led to me going to Cinema Wasteland because I'd always wanted to go. I'd always heard about it and finally ended up going and working there as well with Tony until he closed up shop. And then when he did, uh, the Synapse dudes and I were talking and it was like, well, hey, you want to help out work with us? And it was like, yeah, sure, no brainer. So, you know, I kind of ended up going on with those guys and I've been doing it with them ever since. You migrated then over to, to, yeah, to synapse so, very so good when well, you you actually you play music too and uh if anybody wants to go check out 
some of the music that you put together. Is there a place online they can go to, to, to listen to also get a little bit more of who Ryan Rock and Rollson is? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and that's funny because I, you know, talking about names, I do have a stage name that I go by in the band. Now it's Rock and Rollson, right? It's Rock and Rollson. Well, <laughs> oh, I'll have to change it from S. Ravenlord to uh, Rock and Rollson. <laughs> <laughs> well, my studio is called the Raven's Nest. So oh, there's hey, a bit of a connection there, but I'm still sticking with Rock and Rollson. That's it. Well, back in the 90s, my first stage, quote unquote, stage name that I had in an older band that I was in called Night World uh, was Raven. Oh, there you go. Fact, which is funny. And then it kind of evolved to. You know the S Raven Lord thing sure, and all that sure. stuff. Well, where can people you know, go to check your to check out your music? Well, if they look up uh, the Cold Beyond on Bandcamp, and actually, it's a, it's not just the that band, but it's also for my record label thing I have called Night World Records, and all the projects that I've done musically are you can find on there. So uh, great! All right, well, everybody, go check that out to listen to what I'm going to refer as rock and roll some music. There you go. So. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit. We just talked to, we just had Jerry Chandler, our buddy, the co-owner of Synapse Films, uh, on talking about a couple of the titles that Synapse is selling. So we're going to start off here with the 1993 film Slaughter of the Innocents, the James Glickenhaus film starring Scott Glenn. Jerry and I were talking about this, and now what I want to do is now two like movie geeks, nerds kind of uh, pick each other's brains about the film. Let's just start with this. So what was your first introduction to this film? I saw it as a kid on cable. I remember it mostly because Scott Glenn. I'm a, I like Scott Glenn, so I kind of remember that, and yeah. I enjoy these types of thrillers. So what was your in- yeah. introduction to this film? Well, unfortunately for me, I didn't have access to cable much growing up because uh, we never had cable. I mean, if I went over by my grandparents, they had it. Or like my uncle would have it, and uh, it, it had to be a, one of my buddies in one of my first bands. He had it, so I would go over by his house on the weekends, and we'd watch like Headbangers Ball and stuff. But so I didn't really get a lot of. I didn't have the luxury of seeing a lot of stuff like that mm-hmm. when it was on there. Um, I didn't actually start having quote unquote cable consistently until I got it myself in like the mid two thousands. Okay, so I, I missed a boat on a lot of seeing things on there. Although, I mean, when I'd be by my grandparents, you know, I, I happened to catch Godzilla marathons and things like that as a kid. But like I said, the, the, the mid nineties or the nineties stuff, a lot of that, you know, I was out of high school and falls deep in music and playing in bands and doing all that kind of stuff. I mean, I was going to the movies and renting things a lot, but mm-hmm. I never had the access to the cable like a lot of people did. So for this movie, um, my introduction to it was when Synapse put it out. Okay. Um, I mean, I know Glickenhaus, you know, like I said, I've seen Shakedown and on VHS and obviously Exterminator and stuff like that, but I haven't seen a lot of his other output. So when I saw that he did it and, you know, again, Scott Glenn, like him and, mm-hmm. you know, heard the idea of what it was, it's like, Oh, that sounds interesting. I mean, Obviously, it's not at the level of like a Silence of the Lambs or a Seven or this or that. I mean, it's definitely, to me, more of like a, a B-movie type right. thing. But it's so wacky and wild and just, I mean, you're watching it scratching your head where it, it, 
it almost has like an unintentional camp factor to it without trying to be that way. If that makes sense. Yeah, because it's it's. I mean, the story is basically Scott Glenn being like a legendary FBI agent who can figure anything out. Yet he is completely upstaged by like his young child, <laughs> his kid who knows his way around a, a computer in the 1990s. Yeah, and yeah. and it is kind of like. You know, he's not exactly the st- most strict parent. If I was an FBI no. agent, I'm not. First of all, if I had a daughter, she'd never date. Uh, if yeah. I had a boy, he'd right. be shackled somewhere, probably just to be protective of him. Because if I was an FBI agent, I'd see the worst of humanity ever. Uh, but not Scott Glenn. <laughs> no, Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn. He just, you know, he pretty much lets his kid fend for himself. I uh, stand the computer and track down notorious serial killers. Um, and he does outwit everyone, including the FBI and the serial killers that they're all after. Um, so, yeah, it definitely has a bit of a gonzo kind of what the hell? Well, I mean, there's so many random things that happen, right. too. You know, all of a sudden they're raiding this house that's got all these. You know, these people in it that got a dead body on the table and they're in these robes and they're like these Moab or whatever they call them. And it's just like, it makes me go, well, how do these people like exist in normal society? Right. Like, I understand society's messed up and there's a lot of whack jobs out there. But I mean, you see them and it's like, these people obviously are not, have no touch with reality. They're completely <laughs> out there. And right. yet they're, you know, somebody's finally just complaining that they're doing this and they go there and, oh hey look at all this stuff you know like even the killer himself i mean he's like a mix between rasputin and george eastman yeah he looks like a you know this wild-eyed beard he's wearing a robe and he's sandals. that handsome and yet, yeah, right exactly but it, right. It, but it's like you know the guy screams like Something's not right with this guy, but yet he manages to move around, and people don't, you know. I mean, and not only that, but he's the only guy that's trying to maneuver around in polite society, and he's kind of getting through it, not getting caught. And everybody else is way on the edges of remoteness, and and they're constantly getting picked on by the FBI, Ruby Ridge style, I might add. There's a lot of that kind yeah. of thing in this movie too. For one of the things that yeah. kind of blew me away was I was sitting there watching it, I almost choked on my pretzel. I was like. Is that Aaron Eckhart? And then I'm like, is that Kevin Sorbo? And there's a couple yeah, people in this Kevin movie where Sorbo. I'm like, uh, is he, you're kind of looking around the room like there's nobody there. But you're looking around the room going, does anybody else see Kevin Sorbo in front of How the hell is Kevin Sorbo in this? And then you see Aaron Eckhart yeah. as like this this jerk, this jerk-off, like gung-ho, trigger-happy yeah. FBI agent who can't wait right. to, who just, he like, he, he missed Ruby Ridge. You know, he missed Ruby Ridge. Waco wasn't cool enough for him. I gotta go. I gotta go find this guy out here living on the side of a mountain who's wearing a Nazi uniform. Listen, the guy on the mountain wearing a Nazi uniform—that's not the guy I'm worried about. It's the guy marching down the street I'm worried about. <laughs> Leave that right, guy. Exactly. Let that guy just like fade away. It's cool. <laughs> Worry about that guy. How about you worry about the guy in the Jesus robe running around the street shouting, I'm murdering people! Question well, him. You know, one of the funny things about that is is that they actually talk about in the special features how when they were shooting that and doing that, Waco ended up happening. Ah, mm. And, like, how some of the people that were actual, like, police officers or SWAT people or FBI that were playing some of the characters, they had to go to Waco and leave. Oh, wow. And he was like, you know, the irony of the fact of how they end up, you know, 
killing the guy. And another interesting thing about that is, is that they actually shot two versions of that scene too. Uh-huh. There's because in some countries they couldn't have the Nazi imagery and all that stuff. Uh-huh. And the second version that they shot, they have a completely different actor. And it's like, he's got a flag hanging up that looks like, uh, I think it's the original 13 colony, you know, okay. where it's the circle star, the American right, flag. Right. And, Old glory. <laughs> and his death is even gorier though, because he's wearing this white shirt. And when they shoot him, like it's all these like total Hong Kong style, like geysers of blood erupting from his body in <laughs> slow motion. as he's getting killed, you know, right. it's way more violent than when they kill the Nazi guy. Right. But it's right. just kind of funny how, again, it's random. It's like, Oh, all of a sudden we're just going to go find this dude and kill him. And it's like, I mean, I understand that there is a thread to the story, but it's so loosely like tied together that it's just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, if you're not glued, if you're not glued, you you know, if you like, if you like, I don't know, look over to your side for a second, and look back, maybe you might be completely lost because all of a sudden you're like, wait, why are they there? What what yeah. who, what, what 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 relevance <laughs> does this have to anything? And the other thing too is right. that I kind of feel, I don't know, maybe I need my hand, my hand held a little bit more to follow like the logic of like how the kid is discovering things and figuring things out. Cause it was kind of a little, a little difficult. And the thing is, is you're totally like into what's going on. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. you're like, Hey, but you, you don't always know maybe because it's, it's sort of based in this hyper unrealistic reality, but you're kind of off well, center. I mean, come you know? on, this kid, I mean, he's got one hell of a built in GPS. I mean, he's <laughs> running around in the, in Utah out in the, you know, Monument Valley, and he finds this place with, like, little problems. I mean, let alone having water or, you know, he's out in the middle of, like, it looks like a desert, fully, like, in like winter clothes, practically, it looks like, and all this stuff. And he, yeah. he manages to find his way. You know, he doesn't run out of gas. He doesn't, he just, I mean, and, you know, it's like he's got that little computer thing, which is like, okay, yeah, and, you know, it's kind of pre-GPS, and yes, the military and FBI and that they had GPS long before everybody else, right. but it's like, I mean, this dude, like, uses his computer, and he finds everything and does everything, this little kid, you know, and it's like, right. he, you know, at the end, when he's seeing all the things and taking the pictures, it's like, oh, this one's the one that he goes, ah, to, but yet there was all these other gruesome <laughs> images, and he walked right past and shot, and it was like, okay. You right, know, no right. big deal. It's like horrifying gore, but hey. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, he's the the kid definitely. Uh, he's pretty resourceful. Well, <laughs> he's like almost least. a superhero. <laughs> yeah. It's like the only thing missing is him hand gliding to the site of the killer <laughs> and landing. Well, not to mention the fact that when he goes tangle with the guy at the end, mm-hmm. you know, we see earlier in the movie where this dude's pretty like. You know, on that, pretty strong. He's a big guy. He picks up that one elderly gentleman at the who isn't a small guy either at no. the convenience store and impales him on the freaking uh, deer antlers and he just <laughs> throws him over. But yet the little kid is like kicking him and wrestling with him and he gets away from him. So it's like this guy's a hulking monstrosity. Right. You think he would have just grabbed the kid in his arms and the kid's done. He's not going to be able to get away and run and do all this stuff because, I mean, you saw how strong this dude was earlier in the movie, but yet, nah, the kid's good. He can do what, you know, he's like a superhero. Yeah. And that was, <laughs> that was a jarring part too. Like, did he just like pro wrestling style? That guy like impaled him upside down on yeah. something or what the hell just happened? You know? Yeah. I mean, the holy cow. I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> right. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, we're kind of making fun of it, but actually it's fun. I mean, you got, it's one of those movies you kind of have to let go. Just let the movie, just let the movie take you where it's going to take you, and enjoy it for what it. Don't you can't take this thing 
too you can't take it too seriously. You know, well, exactly. because look, it's a popcorn the, movie. Yeah, because you if know. you do like the one thing that like the moments I was actually just watching it, and I, admittedly with a critical eye, I'm used to doing that. You know, so much of the critical yeah. eye, and I'm thinking one thing I would say if I was a normal person, which I am not a normal person. I'm a very abnormal person, so these movies I love, you know, and stuff. So, but well, right if, there with you, right? So if I was a normal person watching this in a theater properly, sitting there like a, a gentleman or whatever, I would be, and I were putting my Siskel and Ebert hat on. I would say that one thing I thought that was a little that I tended to notice, and this is being a parent. You're a parent. I'm a parent. And this was James Glickenhaus's son, who was the, yeah. the, the lead of, of, of the film. And, right. and we can go through all kinds of conversations about nepotism or whatever about, you know, well, that's, that's his son. Of course, he's going to cast him in the movie. This and that. It isn't that. It's not that. What I'm saying is I'm not saying this kid can't act. What I'm saying is if I were the director, I would have a hell of a time directing my kid to come across to a normal audience, meaning I can read my kid better than yeah. anybody. And James Glickenhaus can read his son better than anyone. And I think that puts that cripples him in a way to direct his son into a performance that's going to resonate to a general audience, not just people who yeah. know. So some of the, I think it's some of what makes it wacky is you're not reading some of this kid's, motives quite as well as I think Glickenhaus was. That's my opinion, but I mean, that's right. a, th this is a piece in a wild, wild film and you have to almost calm, yeah. calm down when you're watching it to pick something like that out in a way. It's more of an observation than a criticism because it just makes the movie even that much more bizarre, which I like. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I understand. I totally agree with what you're saying about that. I mean, I, for myself, my oldest son, He's really fascinated with the human body and he wants to become a doctor. And uh -huh. I mean, he was reading medical books like at a very, very young age and mm -hmm. it was crazy. And he's really into like Ripley's Believe It or Not and all kinds of like, you know, just that kind of stuff, cases right. and crazy and weird, odd facts, things and stuff like he's fascinated with all that stuff. So it's like he totally could be Glickenhaus's son in that movie. Like I could see him being that type of character like mm -hmm. i could almost i could relate to that a little bit although of course for myself you know i wouldn't i would definitely not be just like yeah go ahead run off do what you gotta do you know i would definitely be a little more like well i mean because he's asked me about certain serial killers that he's like oh i'm, I'm kind of fascinated and i'm like yeah well i'd kind of want to wait till you're older before maybe you read about some of that stuff <laughs> right right he's he's an incredibly you know bright smart kid i mean he's He's, he really is, but it's, it's, it's just interesting because he has a lot of, you know, interests and fascinations and a lot of that kind of stuff where it's like, you know, when I was watching it and thinking of that, I'm like, boy, I could totally see uh, <laughs> son being like, like this kid in there being all, Hey, where he, he's very detail oriented and he would pick on all that kind of stuff and do that. So it was kind of interesting in that respect for me to relate to it that way. Right. Not only that too, but you look at the kid and, and this was something, it was almost a trope. I mean, which I think started with war games a little bit, but there was sort of a, a, a Hollywood trope in a way where there's always a kid who was smarter than everybody. And he always knew his way around, around computers. And that was sort yeah. of a fantasy type of idea. Now in reality, 30 plus years later, 
Uh, actually, that's exactly the way the world is. If you want anything on your phone or your computer to work, you need to find someone under the age of 12. And then they right. can figure that stuff out. Back then, that was like, whoa, how does this kid know how to do all this stuff? You know, and everything. Now you're right, looking like, right. yeah, the kid, kids all know technology. We're, we're the idiots. Yeah, well, because they're born into it. That's true. But, I mean, really, this movie, is, a, is it's like a popcorn flick. I it mean, is. Yeah, it we're, is. we're making fun of it and saying that stuff, but I definitely don't mean that necessarily in a bad way because – it is highly, I mean, that's a movie to watch with a whole bunch of people. So you can, you know, you're sitting there laughing at this and you're, it, it's very entertaining in that respect because I mean, the worst kind of movie is one that's boring. And at least when you're watching this, yes, you're, there's a lot to, to be entertained by. I mean, you're exactly. sitting there going, what the heck, you know, I mean, even the fact that this guy's a religious fanatic and yet, you know, he's building another art and it's like, well, if you know, even your basic biblical knowledge God said, I'm never going to destroy the earth with a flood again. Next time I'll do it with fire. But yet he's building an ark. Right, right. And he's doing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it, but it, almost, it was actually kind of made of kindling, too, when you think about it. So he was really not protecting himself from the next attack from God at all. And I was just going to say, but the best part of it that almost makes it wackier and adds to the mania, if you want to look at it from a different perspective, is that this guy was so crazy he thought he'd build an ark, but he really didn't know what he was doing. Right. Because you saw how strong that thing was at the end. It's like, I mean, it was paper mache, <laughs> you know, yeah. which was fantastic. And it almost kind of made it like, yeah, this dude had no chance, even if he would have, because he, you know, right. clearly right. he wasn't, uh, having the faculties to do it properly anyway. Well, but, and that, and you know, you brought up something to, on my, on my old podcast, I, I, one thing that it was almost a cliche on the show that I kept saying over and over and over, and I will f- till the day I die and I'll probably haunt people and come back and say it over and over again, that the, the cardinal sin of a film, especially a B movie, the cardinal sin, the only thing a B movie can really do wrong is to be boring. That's it. Yeah. That's the Cardinals. Anything else, it can be offensive, it can be goofy, it can be silly, but if the word is boring, yeah. Because yeah. that boring entails a lot of things like too long, too slow, sure. too drawn yeah. out. It all means boring. Otherwise, right. it doesn't matter. And I think that most film buffs, like yourself and me, yeah, we know the we know the classic films. I'm we we'll both sit down and watch a Godfather. You know, and things like that, and love it and enjoy yeah. it and stuff. But it's a different kind of entertainment from the same medium. Sort of like saying, well, sometimes you feel like listening to maybe Led Zeppelin. Maybe sometimes you feel like listening to Slayer. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just, it's just a different, same medium, different type of film, and it's taking you on a different ride. I probably would be as entertained by Slaughter of the Innocents as I would be with. The Godfather, entertained-wise. Like, if you want to have a, a, a simple level of entertainment from 1 to 10, well, maybe it's yeah. maybe they're close. Now, when you say, which movie is a a better, technically a better movie, then that <laughs> that becomes a gulf. Right. It starts getting a little bit well, more yeah. like, whoa, that's yeah. a little different. Yeah. But did you have fun watching it? Yeah. Well, you got the real cheeseball music in there and yeah. everything and the stingers and all that mm. stuff that are just really goofy. Right. If you've seen all the movies and you like that subgenre, it's definitely one that's worth seeing. And, you know, Gabe Bartolos, which again, you get that tie to the basket case and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's all kind of the same family right. doing the, the effects on there. I mean, 
some of the stuff he did on there is really, really cool. I mean, that, that climactic sequence, I mean, there's a lot of really nifty looking. Oh, the uh, corpses and stuff that are strong. Yeah. About. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really a lot good, of good stuff work in there. I mean, that yeah. opening sequence too yeah. is, you know, when, when the mom comes home and finds the kids, I mean, that. Right. And it's, it, it manages to still be grim and goofy at the same time. Yeah. And, and very few films, I think really, can pull that like reanimator that those movies are, are a little and this movie is nothing like reanimator but it is in the fact where it has a really interesting dance between the grim and, and the and the goofy and the thing is too is that i don't believe any of the, and I, I mean no, no disrespect to this i don't think any of this was intentional which i think makes it even better Exactly. I think and it makes I it just, more personal I was say to you. The same thing. Yeah, it makes it's it more. That it's goofy, but it's not intentional. Like they weren't trying to wink at the camera. They weren't trying to say, "Hey, nudge, nudge." It's got that element to it that adds that unintentional camp. You know, it, right? And that to me is the best way. I mean, because most time when you're trying to poke it at the camera, you're trying to let the audience know you're in on the joke too. It falls flat. I mean, right. you have your success stories with that, which. You know, there are those movies that work, but Very few, more though. times than not, when yeah. you try to do that, it doesn't work. As right. opposed to movies like this where they weren't really trying to do that, and it just ended up, that's how it turned out. Um, I'm going to be very honest here about this, and that's just the way I am, but I don't like new movies. I just don't. I, I don't think they're made for me. They're not yeah. made by people who have had the same experiences I've had or anything like that. And that's okay. I don't run around the countryside trying to find one to punch it. I just don't watch them. I just don't like them very much. Because of what I'm saying, it seems like every time I try to watch a newer indie film, it's like, oh, God. They saw the same movies I saw when I was a kid. They're trying to replicate them and wink at you. Oh, great. Okay, fine. Or they're very derivative. I mean, very derivative to the point where they're boring. And we just said, eh, on the boring thing. Can't do it. You know, right. that's, that's just a kiss of death. However, Synapsis in indie films, the ones that I've seen, they don't fall in that trap at all. And the one this week, Undertaker, takes the genre that is the most difficult to do anything different with and I think succeeds. And it's the fact that you take the zombie apocalypse, uh, as seen by people in Japan, in this film, and instead of it becoming like a Walking Dead scenario where you have this band of people roaming around trying to hide from the zombies, well, it's kind of, we've kind of settled in. It's kind of happened, and it's sort of, it is what it is, and now you have right. people actually becoming a part of the economy in a way, uh, right. using it as a way to start businesses to take care of loved ones' zombies. When a loved one yeah. per perishes and becomes a zombie, what are you going to do? Kill it? I mean, come on, man. You know, like if, if we had like the zombie apocalypse and one of your kids or your wife or someone like, you know, became one, you'd want to do the right thing. But could you really do that? I could not. So you have to hire someone else to do it. The, hence, an undertaker. This is what this guy does. Yeah. Now, for me, Undertaker, the film Undertaker almost turns the zombies into individual characters because each family has a zombie. Now we're talking about a short, low budget movie and yeah. sort of 65 minutes. I mean, it's almost a, right. it's, 
to call it a feature is is kind of pushing it even at, at a little five minutes. Right, right. But I what what I liked about it, they're taking a lot of time discussing about who one zombie is. One zombie. And the guy's going through other zombies, but he doesn't care. He's looking for a zombie. Right. I don't see that very often. You know, that that to me, and it's not a huge departure, but it's significant. It's well, a, you know, another thing to me that is really interesting about the movie, too, though, that sets it apart is the fact of how the zombies themselves are. Mm-hmm. How, like, yes, they are dead and they're zombies, but they're not just trying to eat you. That's it. Like, they're still trying to also do things that they did in life. Mm-hmm. Like the main zombie that he's looking for who had the baby. Or, you know, the mm-hmm. the one that he encounters where it's sitting there saying, kill me. And, I mean, the fact that even that they have vocalizations even mm-hmm. is something you don't see very often in zombie films. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the dead actually, I mean are kind of speaking, but right. I mean, it's not like they're do- There's not a lot of coherent. It's more just like a, it's like the last thing he did. Mind. Yeah. It's almost like yeah, the last thing he did. It's kind of like he... a one track mind right. kind of thing you right. know, where they're kind of just stuck in that memory mode or whatever you want to call it. Yes. But just the fact that he is, you can see, and I love that they do it so much too, through visually expressing it more so than straight up, you know, telling you and having to spoon feed it to you. I mean, they actually do something which I enjoy that is a lost art to me a lot these days. And that's where they get, they bet they want you to actually think and to come up with stuff while you're watching it. You don't just have to have it all here or here. We're not going to make you use your brain at all. We'll just, we'll just spoon feed you everything you need to know. You right, know, right. They actually like use expression and visual imagery to kind of tell the tale as well. And you're seeing how he's starting to realize that there's more to these creatures than just the shambling husks and what they are. It's like they still have something kind of there, a residual of them that that still gives them where it's like, well, where he starts to feel like an empathy towards them. Right. You know, it's not just about, well, I'm just going to wipe you out and, you know, that's it. Right. And and I think that that's, that's a, that this movie does not spoon feed you, like you said, too. There's not a lot of dialogue in it. They give you no. just enough to kind of see. And the rest of the story is told through the action and through the expressions. That's a pretty bold move for a young, unknown filmmaker to kind of put. Well, and you, you, yeah. it's almost kind of a, and you almost have to look at it as a, a a bit of necessity as the mother of invention. I mean, they clearly, it's an extremely low budget movie. You can right. tell that they weren't running with like any kind of a massive budget. Just, I mean, it's very low. And what they have, are able to pull off and make use of the fact that they don't have clearly don't have access to a lot of resources and money to do this, mm-hmm. you know, so that kind of creative, creative ways of getting around those obstacles and how they're doing it is, is interesting. To yeah. Me. Yeah. And I, 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 I do like the performance of the main character is, is very nuanced and it's very good. Oh yeah. It's very good. Sure. His, his face, his, his expressions and stuff. You, it, it has very a much. definite, has a lot of influence from the old samurai films, which I love. Man, yeah. I love those old samurai oh, films. Oh yeah. They're great. Yeah. He says so much with his eyes. Yes. Like, which is, know. it's, it's very, uh, 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 Leone, Sergio Leone, which I know that, that, that there's a lot of cross influences going back and forth between the Westerns and those movies, but, but it's, there is a lot of that there. And I think part of what's expressed too, is that, the world, the uh, maybe something people don't think about a lot 
or maybe they do, and I'm just bringing it up. The world of the zombie apocalypse is so horrifying because if you've ever lost someone in your like immediate family, and I mean like people who live in your home with you, and I I have okay. So the thing is, is that's horrifying enough to feel that helplessness, but then to see that the shell of that person to be reanimated has got to be the most horrifying, frustratingly awful thing to experience you could ever imagine. Because not only do you have the helpless feeling that this person is gone, there's nothing you can do to save them, but they're even almost teasing you in a way by still moving around and acting like they're still them. And I think that some of those expressions and stuff, I started reading a little bit of that. And maybe what was going on is that the film was done in such a good emotional way that it was pulling those emotions out of me. And guys like me and you watch enough movies. I don't have them very often. We're kind of watching them like, like we're like, we're at the office (laughs) sometimes, you know, and I enjoy watching like that's fine. But this thing really did show emotion. And Jerry, Chandler loves this film, obviously, and he always yeah. he's always very upfront to bring up the fact that it makes him cry all the time. It makes him cry when he watches that, and he feels that emotion in this, too. And I think that this movie has these pieces, these elements in it. It isn't perfect. You know, I, I no. wish there was... But, but my main complaints with Undertaker is I wish it had more. And I don't know if that's really an insult to the film. As much as I want well, more. Well, exactly. I, I understand what you're saying because you definitely do want more, but I think that's almost part of a... I mean, I guess there's two perspectives that you can look at it from. One is you can look at it as a flaw. Well, you know, it kind of stinks because it doesn't want more. Or you can look at it as the movie's doing what it's supposed to do because it sucks you in so much that you want more. Right. That you want, you know, to see more of this world and what's going on and how things are going. Because, I mean... It is very, very minimal. Yes. It demands more of you than just being like here, uh, you know, or slaughter the innocence is just shut your mind off and enjoy the ride. This is is more of a deeper engaging movie on a, you know, cerebral kind of level. Right. And, and, but, but what it does is it does it correctly where it pulls you in, in in the beginning. It doesn't say, no, you gotta sit down, you gotta pay attention. And you're right yeah. when you do, but what the movie does is it doesn't it doesn't tell you that. It just forces you into it because the beginning is set up so well. Yeah. It just sucks you in. So by the time the emotional part of this gets going, you've already been kind of set up a little bit. Yeah. That's that to me is what almost like what I mean by it's it's it takes you without a lot of dialogue. And yeah. it has it's a very bold move because if you don't direct look to me, dialogue can be easier because you can, like you said, spoon feed. You know, you can tell somebody, well, we had a car down there and we were all scared because some of us were infected and some of us weren't. He could have done that all with, with dialogue in a flashback, like when mm-hmm. I was a child, this is what. No, they showed it without a lot of words. Yeah. And that's hard. That's Well, I mean, difficult. there was a little bit of predictability there, too, because sure. you knew right away that his, the Megumi character was clearly, you know, you knew you saw what you saw what happened coming from mm-hmm. a mile away, mm-hmm. but I mean I think I do like the way that they handled it too. Even though you even though it was predictable in that sense, it the way it, the way it worked and happened was was cool. You well, know, zombie I movies it was neat how they did it right. Zombie movies tend to at least the decent ones tend to again give the audience a little bit of credit. So they take that predictability element and they use it as a weapon against you for your suspense. 
You know, they, yeah. they, you, you know, <laughs> when you go into a zombie movie, you meet all the characters, you realize I'm going to experience the long agonizing death of about all these characters. And they're all <laughs> going to probably come back and turn the, turn themselves on each other. And I think that when the people, people who are not as seasoned movie people who go into it without those thoughts really get really going a ride, <laughs> you know, too. But yeah. but I, what I'm saying, though, is that I'm not criticizing Undertaker for using that. I'm saying that it uses it, no. it uses it well. It does it well. Yeah, and that's These what are I was things, saying, too. That was my right. point, is that it, it's done in such a way where it's it's done, where you're not sitting there going, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, you're but you're still invested because you're like, okay. Right. Well, that's I, I expect this to happen, and then it's like, but where is it going to go from there? Right, you know? right. The, again, neither one of these movies we're talking about are my favorite movies, and it's not like oh, yeah. they're the greatest things that I've ever seen. But they're but these are the reasons to me why these are sitting on the table at, at Synapse, you know. And one thing I talked to Jerry yeah. about too, and you know Jerry as well, and I think that we can tell people as as two more like a fan type geeks, you know, and stuff. We do we can promise people that Jerry didn't just get this great Cinderella story about this kid coming from Japan. And Synapse putting the movie out, he would not have done that had he not really loved the film. Oh you know? yeah, and for so sure. so although it's a cool story, that's not really the reason that Synapse put it out. They put it out because Jerry yeah. loved it. I mean, he loved it and thought it was a cool story. You know, and yeah, and he pushes these things. I mean, he wants people to watch these for that. And I've seen almost all of their indie films because he's wanted me to see them so bad. It's not about money and, uh, for him and stuff like that. This is about and one that he yeah. did that with me with that I really loved was Real Zombies. He, I, we, they showed it at Flashback Weekend. We were working. Uh-huh. He was talking up about it the whole time. He's like, "You got to watch this movie. Got to check it out." You know, and I, I mean, like you, I'm like, man, I've seen a million of this stuff, and you get a, you do tend to get a little jaded, and mm-hmm. again, you know, with newer stuff, it gets harder and harder to to be like, yeah, I want to check it out sometimes, and. Right. I mean, it does because there is so much to watch. It does make it difficult to have to sit down and you know try to watch everything. I mean, as much as I'd love to and try to, right. you can't see it all. Right. But then Jerry, like I said, he was working on me. He's just like, you got to check it out. You got to check it out. So I was like, all right, I'll go. And I went with him and sat down and we watched that. And I was blown away by how awesome Real Zombies really was. Uh-huh. So it's like I was like, man, you know, you really did a good job coming up with this movie. And he's believe, like you said. He believes in it so much. I mean, he really stands behind the the stuff. If they're going to put it out as something he definitely believes in, right. I mean, he tends to, you know, he that's how it is, which I respect and admire that. That's cool that he stands behind that stuff so right, much, right. you know. And we're not being shrills at all. I mean, this is this is honest because I mean, I don't I couldn't I couldn't be friends with these guys if they weren't just like you or I. You know, I mean, they are. I mean, they're totally like they're moving freaks themselves and love this stuff. And what I like about it is it's almost like the reason, the reason I just gave up on new films is because I got tired of swimming through the crap because it seems like that was all I was getting. Oh, yeah. And they're good it movies. I'm not saying there isn't good movies. I'm not, I do not want to discourage people from, please make movies. We need more. I mean, all we're getting now is YouTube videos and crap. I don't care about, man, I'm waving my cane. Let me, hold on, I think somebody's in my yard. Let me yell and get out of my yard. Yeah. But, but I want people to make films. The you thing know, is, yeah, the thing is, is that what I appreciate is that when Jerry hands me something like, "Oh, oh, you swam through crap, so I didn't have to." <laughs> Thanks. Right. I'll take that and watch it. And so far, uh, I've liked some more than others. But I get it. I understand yeah. why they put these things yeah. out, and there there is a reason for it. 
All right, Ryan. Well, uh, as as you know, we could probably sit uh, a twenty four hour period at a convention and talk about one scene in one movie and pick it apart, but we're running out of time for the show here. So, thanks. Oh yeah. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Uh, first episode, you are the first guest speaker after, I guess, Jerry, but Jerry owns the company, so I guess we can't call him a guest to anything. But uh, first guest <laughs> here in the show, and it was a good conversation. Um, I, I think that we, uh, Slaughter the Innocents, fun B-movie. Is that a good way to wrap it up? Fun B-movie, uh, yeah. pretty wild. Certainly won't bore you. <laughs> you no, know, definitely uh, not. No, it's it, best watch I think with a group of people, it, 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 like-minded individuals. But, sure, you know, sure, definitely. I would, I would, I would recommend that. But you know, right? And um, it, I, it's fun either way. But I think it would definitely enhance it. Right, and then I'd say Undertaker <laughs> is an interesting foreign film that really kind of it, it sort of uh, floats its way to the top. You know, above a lot of other things that you've seen out there. Uh, it is short. I, it's kind of a bonus for me. I kind of like it being being an hour. I think it. I think it. It does what it wants to do in that hour, and then walks away. I I wish that had more to it, but I also wish, and maybe they will. I'd like to see a continuing series with that character. Well, I mean, on the special features, they talk about how they want to make a series of movies. Right. I mean, that, that this was kind of a piece of it. I mean, they're everybody to um to a man or woman, and you know they really were passionate about it. They love it. They, and they'd love to do more. So, I mean, you know, they, it seems like if they're given the opportunity, they, we will see more of that world and more of that, uh, you know, that, that story, which is great. Cause right. I mean, I'd be curious to see where, where it goes too. I mean, it doesn't overstay its welcome, like you said, but I, it does start things off interesting. You know, I, I really, uh, the heart and the passion of the, the people making it is very obvious and you can really feel it at least to me anyway. I think what I think what really jumps out at me is the the possibilities of where that character and that story could go. I mean, it's it's endless. Yeah. It's endless. It's right there. So hopefully it's been a little while since I made the first one, but you know, you never know. You never know. So hopefully uh, they'll do something, yeah. but I would definitely encourage it myself. I'd like to see it. And I don't want to see anything new. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd like to see that. I'll watch that. Let me see that, you know. So, but uh Two interesting good films that you will find on the Synapse website, on the table at a convention, if you're interested, if we've piqued your interest at all to watch these films. So, all right, Ryan, thank you very much. We will have you back on again to talk about another film very shortly. So, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for inviting me to do this. And it's a lot of fun, man. You know, kind of like doing this at the show. So, if you see yeah. me at the table, you know, I just come up and say hi. But, this is uh, this is great, man. I really really enjoyed it. Great honor. Thank you for uh, inviting me to do this. A lot of fun. I appreciate it. And good conversation. That's always fun to have between two two movie oh, nerds, right? <laughs> for sure, man. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, I I never get never get tired of stuff like this. Being absolutely. nerd now at a time is great. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, Ryan. Thanks again, and take care. You too. Cheers. It was an honor and a pleasure to be your tour guide on this journey into all things Synapse Films. Until we meet again, be safe, be good to each other, and be right back here next time for the next episode of the Synapse Films Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Synapse Films Podcast. We couldn't be here without you, the fans, 
So from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you for your continuing support of Synapse Films. I'm tired of being